Welcome to the Woke Blokes Podcast, hosted by Nick Sutherland from MindFit and Ryan Hassan from the Center for Healing. Let's get into today's episode. It's just beautiful. Yeah, uh, but this was this jacket was tailor made for me in Thailand. Really? In in Hua Hin. Hua Hin, and look at it. It's a beautiful Hua jacket. Hin. Thank you. Yeah, still beautiful fits. You haven't you haven't you haven't jacket. put on too much weight since then. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm going to say those quite. buttons are looking a little tight, Nick. <laughs> uh, and welcome Deb to the uh, conversation, everyone. Welcome back, everybody. <laughs> To the Woke Blokes podcast, I'm your, let's do a formal introduction, I'm your host Ryan Hassan, joined as always by Nico from MindFit, Nick Sutherland. And, so I'll, uh, I'd be the co-host then, I guess. We're, we're co-hosts. Hmm. Yeah, okay. yeah, we're more, much more than that, I think, but you know, oh, yes, for, for this purpose yes, we we'll be co-hosts. Uh, Nico, before we introduce our fantastic guest, which I'm going to get you to introduce, how have you been this week? What's news? Well, I'm I'm excited about our guest. I'm, I'm I can't wait to to get into it. It's going to be a ripper of a podcast, people. Uh, strap yourselves in. But apart from that, I'm great. I actually have to talk to our guest um, in the next couple of days about something I've got going on. Um, Deb's coming in to to run some meditation. Um, uh, well, you guys work, can just have so that business meeting here, if you like, and everyone can tune great, in. Right, fantastic. <laughs> uh, apart from that, what else has been going on? You've, um, you've got to do a shout-out. I do have to do a shout-out to Christy. Uh, Chris, Christy gave me a call yesterday. She said she saw my truck driving down the Nepean Highway, and she it's, it's got my, obviously, business... Sign right. It's a big, it. it's a big burly car with with big signage it's a, it's on it. It's a dual cab Land Rover Defender Ute. It's a, uh, yeah, it's, it's a. Your voice got like a little a bit deeper then. It's like a military looking vehicle. It's just big and beefy and got me, well, got me a bit of testosterone leaked out. A bit of testosterone just squirted somewhere, and um, and yeah, and so I got this phone call and and. This lady's like, oh hi Nick, I saw your car driving down the Nepean Highway, and I loved your, I loved the business name, so I googled it and found your website, and then found that uh, you you do a podcast, and so I've been listening to that, and I've got to say it's amazing and it's wonderful, and you know, she said I have to, I have to restrict myself to only listening to two episodes a day, otherwise I just binge and listen to it. What's she getting through them too day. fast? Yes, yes. Jeez. So um, that's fair yeah, enough. So what are we up to? I think this is twenty-eight. So she better, yeah, just yeah, two, two so a day, Christy. Settle down. She's up to she's up to episode ten. So right, that's when we really start nine, to find nine our groove. Days, nine days time, she might she might be up to this episode. Excellent, excellent. Well, shout out to you, Christy. Thanks for tuning in. I think you might have told me Nick that. You know, one of her friends might have said, "Oh, what are you listening to a podcast called the Woke Blokes Podcast for?" But you know, there's a lot of stuff for the for the ladies in this show. We have lots of lady listeners. Lots, of ladies. actually, lots of ladies use it to plant seeds for their for their husbands and partners. I, I suggested to um, a lot of clients that say, "How can I get my husband to open up and ask for help and come and see you?" I say, "Well, just just play." The, the podcast in the background just play it in the kitchen when you're cooking dinner together or when you're just chilling out just have it ticking over in the background and they'll they'll come into it and maybe something will resonate and grab them and who knows so yeah 
Yeah. No. So yeah. So ladies, and, and you know that's a good segue, Nick, because we have a magnificent, wonderful lady on the show today. We have we have a very woke lady with us today. We have a woke woman, and her name's Deborah Bull. Welcome, Deb. Nico, your audio is cutting out there. <laughs> Deb, we're going to continue chatting. You can hear me, okay? Hello. Uh, yes, I can. Yes. Ryan. Well, I, I'm, Thank I'm, you for having me. No problem. I'm going to intro you while Nick's frozen on our screen here in another dimension. We're back. We're back. You're back. He's back in the twilight. My internet connection is unstable. I think you're a little bit unstable, Nick. Yeah, I think you're a judgmental <laughs> bastard. <laughs> All right. The intro, Nick. Can you please introduce the wonderful Deb from Soul Evolution? I can. The the wonderfully woke woman, Deb, from Soul Evolution. Um, Deb and I, oh, how long has it been? Probably a decade, maybe a bit longer. Um, yeah. I, I, so I finished my study and, and opened up my business and then, I don't know, I was Googling something and Soul Evolution popped up and... I just felt compelled to, to ring and I did and I went and met with Deb and she was running some group classes and yeah, we just got chatting and there was just a, a, an instant connection, a, a synergy, I suppose, um, souls, recognizing souls. And then Deb did my numerology uh, profile and that was amazing and super insightful and super helpful. And uh, yeah, a lot of the time, I'll when I'm wondering about things, I'll go to Deb for a tarot reading because um, I like to have a foot in the the spiritual and the science camps, a foot in both. I, I think it'd be ignorant of this just to stay in one or the other. So totally agree. Um, and yeah, so De- Deb and I have have been great friends for many many years, and and she's a confidant, she's a friend, she's a a colleague, she's someone who I refer clients to, she's helped many of my friends through the numerology profiles, so when a friend has a baby, I'll, I'll instead of getting them a you know, a blanket or a toy or whatever, flowers them, or something yeah, I'll get them a numerology profile done for their newborn baby and, and every single person I've done that for is going fuck, this is amazing, this is awesome, this is what my child's sort of going to be like and it just gives them a bit of an insight into what's yeah. going on what a great gift so, it's way better than a shitty blanket what's well, a gift that keeps on giving and so is deb so deb <laughs> welcome hi thanks for joining us thank you nick i uh, i do hope i live up to that wonderful introduction <laughs> that's pretty <laughs> good wasn't it? it was good yes I'm, I'm just sort of trying to flatten the head down a little <laughs> Numerology is amazing, and those charts, especially for new parents that you said, are just a wonderful way for the parent to guide their child and nurture their child. It's not an exact blueprint, but it gives you the lame way in which you can manoeuvre. And generally, you could probably answer this, Nick, too. Once the children have become a little bit older and you start to see their personality emerging, you can often see what the chart originally wrote in it and you can see it unfolding before your eyes. Do you know one of the most baffling things for me was I've done a lot of Maya Briggs and all this sort of personality tests, I don't know if Mm. you have, but then 
Deb's Deb's numerology profile. I know you, you've you've had the pleasure of receiving one from Deb. Um, for the listeners, it's like a twenty-page, in-depth, um, yeah, sort of. I don't know what would you call it a. a let's let's uh, you 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 explain it, Deb. Like let's for people yeah. who are maybe tuning in. There's some guys they've heard the word the term numerology, but they can't really put a finger on it. They're like, oh, it's just the you know stars and the planets and stuff, but they don't yeah. know. Yeah. Um, what 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 sort of how can we explain this in layman terms and give an idea for people? Okay, well, let, if if I can, I'm going to go back a few centuries. Um, in numerology, oh, hang on. Oh, we've got some background oh. music. This is going to be this, epic. This is so- <laughs> This is Pythagoras Music, ringing. The angels, everyone's here. <laughs> Pythagoras. Pythagoras is ringing. Yeah, well, just well, to I remind you, better. just trying to remind you that a squared equals b squared plus c no, squared. Well, have a listen. Uh, how's Pythagoras connected to numerology, Deb? Well, back in in ancient days, um, a lot of people, mathematicians, believe that numbers unveiled will say the soul's journey. In fact, they, they believe that the whole existence of humanity is based on math, whether that be the environment, the earth, people, all of those things. So Pythagoras was a mathematician that then wanted to open it up a little bit wider. And what he did is look at it from a divining perspective, understanding the human nature and the human soul and why are we brought here. Many will struggle through their lives. So while I'm no mathematician, believe me, he basically put together a system of numbers that was dependent on your date of birth and the name given at birth. And from that, it can unveil what your life destiny or purpose is, how that motors along, who's your ideal love, what's your ideal career, so on and so on and so on. It's It really is, if I use it in today's terms, it's a GPS for life. Mm. That's so a good term. As, as I was saying, it was, so, it was so similar to those My Briggs tests and personality tests. And that was the most mind-blowing thing about it. All these psychological, psychological, psychological profiles were... I think the numerology one was more beneficial than any of those. So this is going back yeah, a long way. Because Pythagoras was what, 500 BC, like a long time ago. Ancient times, yeah. absolutely, yeah. And back in those days, if you look at it, astrologers and astronomers were actually one. Mm. Now it's been separated, and astronomers, you know, don't hold a very good opinion of astrologers. Um, and it's it's sort of gone its separate direction. But if you go back to ancient days, they were all the, the same. Your Nostradamus, they were the great thinkers, I suppose, and philosophers. Um, so based just on that, you know, they believe that, what do you want to call it, energy, the stars colliding, the perfect storm, is it's your perfect storm. Now, like anything in life, we can be given the positives, but within those positives, there's always too much of that energy or too little of that energy. Let me give you an example. Um, I'm one life destiny. So the goal is to be a leader, but with humility, to be original, to be an individual. 
And if you asked my mother, she would say yes. Debbie would stomp her feet because I am who I am. (laughs) So I knew it from a very early age, whereas my brother was quite happy to float. Now, if I have too much of that one energy and express it in an ineffective way, I become arrogant, I become difficult, I become egotistical. If I have too little of that energy, then I become insecure, underconfident, weak. The goal, and with a a numerologist's goal, is to be able to guide you back to centre. But most people would know deep down and would be already expressing those energies without even realising it. Sometimes you can look at people and go, oh, she is a pure four. You can see it dripping off her. Whereas other people might be more of a balance and they've got a bit of this and a bit of that and a bit of this and a bit of that all blended into one. And so those characteristics will also be expressed. So just an amazing tool. Many people will ask me the question, who am I? What am I meant to be doing? How am I meant to be doing it? Well, as you know, numerology can unveil all of that. Now, it's not an exact science. Sorry, Deb. It's interesting how you said they come back to you, you bring them back to being centered. Because I was speaking to a client yesterday, and I don't know where I've got this idea. Maybe from spending a lot of time with you, but it's I, I sort of see that we're, we'll have a life path, and I can tell when people have strayed from their life path, and the further from our life path that we stray, the more agitated, anxious, angry, upset, frustrated, disturbed we'll get. So it's really all about bringing people back to that balance or center of life path, that genuine, authentic self that's in harmony, I suppose, isn't it? Absolutely. And I think people ask, well, how will I know? And I think if it feels right, it probably is. And if you're feeling uncomfortable or awkward or this isn't working, you're probably in the wrong lane. Mm. And that's when numerology, I suppose, can open up and say, well, actually, this is your lane because everybody has a lane. Some have big lanes and some have smaller lanes, but a lane exists for everybody and to fit all those personalities so that you can walk the lane and feel more comfort with self. I think that's the key with everything. If you feel comfortable, that's your soul going, so it's yay! Living in flow. It's, it's, it's living in flow instead of living in yes. force, isn't it? Absolutely. You're not forcing it. You're not resisting it. You're just flowing. And if you think of water in a similar way, water flows it will always find that bigger body of water but sometimes there are logs and branches and stuff in the way and that water has to you know work a lot harder to get to where it's going but it will eventually get there we all do Mm. just how long you want it to make it and how hard you want to make the journey Because the journey is everything, right? I'm really interested, well, Deb. It. I'm interested in this the 
too much of this energy and sort of yep. what maybe creates that and what that looks like it's like we've, you you were uncovering with this numerology what are our is our true nature which is in turn kind yep. of like you could say our strengths because that's what we find yep. natural so then how do we how do we get in trouble with getting too much of that energy is that the way we're expressing the environment that we're in or a combination of those all of the above yes so it could be that you are born to maybe very dominant parents and you had to fight your way to have your voice heard. So a lot of the times our outside influences can express how that energy is expressed. It also depends on the other numbers in your chart. Do they work together? Do they pull apart? How do they, you know, all merge in to make the one cake? and make it come out beautifully. So there's a lot of different ingredients, but essentially, like my parents, I'm the one, they encouraged my independence, my father did, whereas my mother perhaps, I don't know, ignored me a little, so I had to be independent. So I got two examples, if that makes sense. One was a good example, one maybe not so good, it's then up to me how I express that. But Nick would understand being as sensitive, I was always called difficult mm. or because I'd stomp my feet a lot like that's not fair. Um, and that's very one. You've got to say your piece. But sometimes those voices can be pushed down. And so then the one voice is down here. You're not saying what you wish to stay with love of course um you're not going to feel right mm. it's, it's like swallowing rotten milk yeah <laughs> you're going to throw up and in a sense our bodies work a lot quicker and more efficiently than our emotions because if our body if it hits our stomach and says uh -uh, i don't want you here it'll make its way out very quickly emotionally we shove it all in we pack it all in just to make more room and it, it's not vomiting out if you want to use that term we're not releasing what we need to release mm. um, so we could take a, a good tip from our body in a sense that it's an excellent releaser yeah so good are you able to share maybe some times in your life deb when when these energy has gotten out of control or gotten too much well, I'd be very happy if you want to, if I can refer it to, say, my drinking journey. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, just very quickly, my background, alcoholic. Um, I did many years AA and I've been about 22 years sober now. Um, however, one thing I learned while I have time under my belt, today is just today and no different to anyone else. It's today what, what matters, yeah, mm -hmm. regardless of whether you've got a year or 10 years. So for me, if I think of that while I'm on the theme of the one, a lot of the time, you know, I mentioned my mother, so a lot of my confidence was, I suppose, suppressed. So therefore in my life I found by drinking, oh, a bit more confident, I was a bit more of a party girl, but the third drink, you'd get your groove going. So originally it was, you know, you hear all the things. I felt 10 foot tall and bulletproof, mm -hmm. and I wasn't. But the alcohol soon turned on me. But during that time, 
I would get involved in really bad relationships that would damage my insecurities. Of course, I let it happen. Um, I would feel jealous, insecure. I never felt right. Then I would put myself, I worked in corporate for many years. And while I was, you know, I could run off the seat of my pants, it wasn't my environment. It was always more, 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 more. So, you know, wrapping a really dysfunctional personal life, a career life that, you know, probably wasn't my true path, it led me to under-express in some cases where I had no confidence and no, no faith in myself. In other cases, I would get angry and then I would be feisty and some would say a little bit aggressive. Um, never physically, but certainly verbally, especially if I had a lot of drink in me, but never balanced, yeah? So I suppose it took many years because ones are very tough. They don't like to be pushed down. Um, but eventually the drink turned on me, as it does with most people. When you're drinking alcoholically, I was taught there's three endings. There's the um, cemetery, the asylum, or death, or, or police, sorry, jail. So I didn't like the look of those endings, and I could see one of them was going to arrive very quickly. <laughs> It's if not a great it's not a great menu of options, is it, Deb? Not really, no. Take your well, pick, you know. Ryan, he's, he's Ryan got to do some <laughs> Ryan got to do some hard time, Deb. Ryan Ryan chose one of those endings and Yeah. Well, I've, had, I've I've had my teardrop tattoo removed. I had a laser surgery, yeah. but yeah. Yeah. And After three, three three days in three days in, in lockdown. Yeah. But you know, times times relevant uh, irrelevant. You know, it's not doesn't really. It's it just is. a concept. It's a but all we've got is today, really. Right, yeah, and right. and I always re remember you're that far away from your next drink, so it's never you know it's it's always there, even though you've learnt to manage it better. But so you know what, we... Ryan, you would probably find the same. Uh, you nick in whatever area of your life. Pain is actually a really amazing thing because it gets you moving. It it's a good gets motivator. you motivated. Yeah. People normally don't go to the dentist by choice. They go because something's I went, I went yesterday by choice because I've learnt well, that I don't want to have a root canal. No, that's because yeah. I, because I've experienced the pain of having. Well, yeah. I've experienced the pain of a root canal. Which I then learnt I didn't want to experience again, so now I do operate in a proactive way. I still go to see a mental health practitioner because of the depression and anxiety I've suffered. So I I take a proactive approach with my mental health and well-being. I go to the doctors regularly to get my blood pressure and da 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 because I don't want to wait until something bad happens before mm. I then make a reactive decision. So, so it's the preventative measure as yeah. opposed well, I, to the reactive. And it's when the uh, the universe, you know, it's we only change when the discomfort of staying where we are becomes greater than the discomfort involved in moving or doing things differently or changing. So, a lot of people who aren't in that preventative, proactive mindset have to wait until the fire's hot enough underneath their ass before they go, "Shit, I've got to move and shift and do things differently," which is human nature, I think. Mm. 
Mm. Well, it is, but I actually think it's our friend. It's there for, you know, we're designed perfectly, if you want to call it. So really pain is, is the way the universe knows that we're going to do something about it. So they give us ample opportunity before because you know there are bumps and potholes and cliffs and all sorts of things, but to make that change, you need the pain, like I've had enough. The old saying, what, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. What's that other one, Deb? I think it was pain is inevitable, but suffering is optional. Correct, and it is. Yeah. Think about it this way. Let's use the physical. If I put my finger on the stove, What's the first thing I'm likely to do? Ouch. Pull back. Well, ouch, but you did it. Remove it straight away. Emotionally, we don't do that. We'll keep our finger on and we'll keep it on and we'll keep it on and keep keeping it on. And now I've got a third degree burn and now I'm suffering. So the analogy. Sorry. Sorry, Deb, go on. Um, I was going to say the analogy is is really if we keep ourselves in toxic situations and painful situations, they're going to create more pain, deeper pain, like the third yeah, degree I'm, burn. I'm, I'm reading this book at the moment called Passionate Presence by Catherine Ingram. I think you'd love her work, Deb. She's she's very Buddhist approach, uh, and she was talking about suffering. In this chapter of the book last night, she said it's like a snake bite. So the initial bite, the initial trauma, often hurts, but the the real issue comes with the venom afterwards and how it affects yes. us. So yes. there's that initial pain, initial suffering, but then there's the toxicity that occurs afterwards, yes. which yes. is where the real damage is done. Absolutely, and I think pain, as I said, it's a great friend, but if you don't tend to that pain it will then become suffering. And mm. a lot of men do that. A lot of men, has we've spoken about this, they're like, I'm not in pain. I haven't got a broken leg. I don't have feelings. I don't have this. They're very disconnected from from their emotions, so they can't actually comprehend and understand that they are in pain. So they don't even know that damage is being caused because they're so far removed from it. Yeah, it's like the system. the system's constricted. But if it's been constricted for so long, that becomes normal. It's like if I had my hand on the like on the stove, but then I had it there for like a few years, then I'm just that's just normal now, and I haven't. It's like the you know it's been cloudy and I can't see the sun, but I just think life's cloudy. Mm-hmm. So just this stuff becomes normal. It's not till some people, especially men, start to work on this stuff and let go that we're like, oh my god, I've been holding on <laughs> for so long. I'm interested, guys, because I love men. But by nature, men won't go to the doctor until it really, really hurts. What do you think that is? What what prevents that? As What's... women will be more open with their emotions and they'll tell anyone they meet, really. Well, let's, I'll, 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 I'll go first. I'll go first, Nick. Yeah. It's, there's there's cultural indoctrination that, that men go through that's very, very, you know, culture-based. Yes, we can learn on individually because seeing our dad and the other men in our life, but just culturally, and I think things are starting to change um, slowly, like cultural things do, but it's this thing that men are, you know, this, this bullshit, macho, 
I'll be right. It's like, I don't want to talk about my emotions. I don't want to go to the doctor until it's too late. And so we just put off and put off and put off. And I don't know if that also has evolutionary roots you know, for the vast majority of our evolution, men were out hunting and uh, and the women were gathering and women would be around talking a lot, open, open, open. Men were out in groups of other men, very quiet. There wasn't much talking going on. So men by, their, by that nature learned to be very, very quiet. So I don't know if there's evolutionary roots, there's cultural roots, and then there's also the individual beliefs that we pick up from, you know, dad, granddad, all that kind of stuff who, uh, yeah. who are like, yeah, it's, everything's fine. I, I think, I completely agree, Hass. I think there's many factors contributing towards it it's, it's, it's a bit of a perfect storm but on the surface in this day and age something that we can deal with is, is that toxic masculinity it's that I have to be seen as tough it's I have to put on a brave face and a uh, you know just endure and have to endure this and I can't share and I, I, I don't want to burden anyone else I can't be seen to be weak and if I ask for help that's being weak and that's a huge misconception because as I talk to my clients it takes more strength to let go and to open up and to ask for help yes. than it takes to to remain holding on to something out of fear. But women do do it as well. There's a lot of women that are afraid to ask for help. Yes. You know, yes. when when they've got new new mothers because they've got this. Oh, I'm I'm going to be seen as imperfect, or people are going to think that I'm an idiot because I don't know how to. I'm going to be judged. I'm, I'm, I'm a terrible mother because I don't know how to change your nappy. And if I ask, then I'm seen as incompetent. And so, they think that every other mother's perfect. Yeah. Yes. So yes. It's, I think, while it may have evolutionary roots, I think the main cause of it is the ego. And if we mm-hmm. can start to reduce the ego and shift that, then... I've got yeah. the image of men like, you know, and this is the thing you know, like showing off their scars, you know, like around a campfire. And this whole yeah. this whole thing like, yeah, but look at this one here. Oh, Basil, that's a bad one, but look at mine. It's this real weird yeah, ego thing that's going day, on. The, mo- the modern day version of that is, oh, I worked 50 hours this week. Oh, well, I worked 60 hours this week. Oh, that's nothing. I did 70 hours this week. That's mm. the modern day show us your scar. This is, this is how much suffering I can endure. Yep. It's interesting. I've looked at it through dogs, and male dogs will piss everywhere. Oh, there's a couch. That's new. I'll have a little, just a little mark, and I'll put my territory here, and I'll leave my seat here. That's what I'll you do, Nick. Just to, yes, well, Nick, you haven't told me about that. <laughs> <laughs> right, I've told that to you in confidence. Female dogs don't do it as much. They're not as inclined to want to mark their territory. Yes, outside they will, but male dogs have that. That's mine and my territory. So dominance, you think? Sorry. Dominance. This trying to establish dominance. Possibly, and if you go back to what you were saying, Ryan, you know, if we go back to our primitive days and our primitive DNA. They had to be strong. They had to be fierce in order to survive. And if you go back there, it was the physically inclined male that was the popular male. Nowadays, not necessarily. Mm. So, well, I'm reading this book on nature at the moment and they've, they've been researching about the alpha male and how the alpha male is actually detrimental to the species survival because it's yep. the male that actually spends more time with the women of the species and builds 
bonds and relationships and trust and everything you know that that has more of a chance of mating than the alpha male who just comes in and dominates and takes over yes so it's that it's more the um, omega male now instead of the alpha male yes it, yes it's and interesting explain what the omega What's the Omega male? Uh, so it's the, probably the more woke one, the more emotionally intelligent, the more um, understanding that I have a ripple effect and, and I will affect the rest of my species or tribe or pack or family or whatever it is. So they're more in tune with their surroundings and what's going on. And mm-hmm. they don't have to be... Uh, the, uh, less ego pretty much they don't have to be pat on the back and rewarded for saving the day and for you know just carrying the world on their shoulders they're actually let's all work together and i I don't have Mm -hmm. to be seen as being the best it's that ego that ego is not involved it's interesting it's like the um makes me think of we have this avatar of what an alien looks like and who knows you know Mm -hmm. where that's come from and it's like so obviously if an alien is races visiting us they're much more advanced than we are because we can't go find them and visit them and then the avatar of this alien is like massive head like assuming like big brain and big eyes and quite a frail body like Mm -hmm. quite you know skinny arms and legs so it's like we've 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 created this avatar of a more advanced race and it doesn't look like like how we've come from which and i'm part meathead i love the gym like you know it's i'm not against that but so this avatar we've created seems to be a lot more intelligent woke or whatever you want to call it and less physically alpha than we're used to seeing in, in humans yeah, totally. so a big head than abs really and, and yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, 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 it's not, not, not done rise abs i wanted to ask you because what i noticed now while men are becoming you mentioned the omega male i think women are starting to ramp up their aggressiveness you see them on the road they're just far more aggressive these days um and i don't know i'm not putting an overall term but aggressive may be the wrong word but they're just more forceful i think well i think that comes from so much suppression and it's just a natural response if you contain something long enough against its will it's gonna it's gonna try and escape and try and get out so women i think are having to force their way out because these big alpha meathead males have suppressed them for so long yeah it's interesting there's a lot of different energy going on like i think we're all slowly even though we're getting massive in numbers i think that'll that actual population will start to decrease but we're moving towards all becoming very similar you know we're understanding that obviously men and women are equal like duh but also like the the race stuff that's happening at the minute like we're moving towards we're all going to be as a species of like a light brown skin like moving forward just because of the interracial um, sexual encounters and everything. So so we're heading towards this more equality, but then I think that's energetically on a collective level is magnifying all the suppression of different, um, you know, women, black people, all that kind of stuff. Who's that dude, um, the Canadian, the guy that had the, you know, the real woke dude? um, Like around now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Michael Peterson or oh Jordan Peterson, Jordan Peterson. Yeah, and have you listened to him speak about equality? And he's like, men and women aren't equal. We are very different. We we should strive for equality because we both bring different strengths and different weaknesses and etc. But 
but we are inherently different yeah. beings. We're, we're not equal. We can lift more than most women, and women can you know, care emotionally more than most men. So He's talking yeah. about, yeah, I think I've heard that in the workforce in particular because he was weighing in on the debate around the, the pay differences um, mm. between men and women because... You know, women want to work more in groups and go towards certain jobs, whereas men, like, we like doing the dangerous shit <laughs> and all that kind of stuff. So then it's like, should things be equal? But I think that's right. We do have different strengths and weaknesses, but as a being, equal. But because of that suppression... But he, said, he said women are trying to take these more male-dominant roles where he, he wonders why that's necessary when men wouldn't do well in more women-specific yeah. roles. So... Is it, is it, why can't I we all just be different? I think what you're talking about is instead of equality, maybe respect. Yeah. But yeah. yeah, within all of our capabilities, women have gifts that uh, maybe aren't men's, you know, natural attunements. And men, as you said, they can lift a lot more and pull a lot more and, you know, lug the tree out. But, of course, men have evolved into a lot more too. They're worth more than just that these days. As women are no longer just breeders, you know, just having children, being a wife, and that's it. Mm. So I think the places are sort of changing, if that makes sense. Mm. Yeah. Which is a good thing. It's a good thing. Yeah, it's fantastic. Deb, can we shift gears and, and we've spoken about numerology. Can we dive into some tarot and some yes. and, and talk, what would talk you, about? Wait, before, what? can I can I ask one thing before we jump into that? Sure. Yeah, Deb, how'd you stop drinking? How did I stop drinking? We talked about pain. I think that was my signal. Um, it was I was at the end of my road, basically coming home on a train, suicidal, wrote a note. Had everything ready to go, but I walked across the road to the doctor. I got some pills. It was very easy, and I was obviously distressed. But something stopped me from going home, and Mum had a shop in Frankston, so I went in there and literally just fell to my knees. And from there, I went to an AA meeting that night, and I was ready. You know, I was ready to listen. I was ready to hear. I was ready to surrender. And what I heard were people that drank like me. And that was an enormous relief um, to know that I wasn't immoral or there was something, I mean, there was something wrong with me. I was sick. But you weren't the only Uh, one. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. So I, I love that sense of belonging. And I think everybody needs a tribe. I don't, know if it's the same for male alcoholics but as a female alcoholic i felt very alone and very judged because females usually express their alcoholism in different ways yeah um we become lovers not fighters so to speak so it was that first night at aa the penny just went bang and i was ready you know to to go so i We've talked of the perfect storm. I just think everything yeah. was ready. I was mature enough to know. I was 33 at the time. I'd had enough knocks and, you know, burnt bridges to know that, you know, life wasn't happy and it certainly wasn't productive and I was nearing the end. In fact, 
alcohol kills on so many levels. I remember one night I lived alone. And I need to share this story to, to show you how easy it is to just go. Mm. And I'd come home drunk as normal, off my head, in blackout, and thought a bath would be good at this time. So done the bath, blah, blah, blah. I've woken up the next morning red, just red. I'd forgot to put cold water in the bath. Now, I can only thank my protectors or just luck, damn good luck, it certainly wasn't good planning, um, that I lived through that because that could have sent a body into shock. Yeah. Cooked yourself. I could have easily died. And that's how alcoholics die. They fall, they hit their head, they get in a boiling hot bath, blah, 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 blah. So I knew I was in trouble. I just didn't quite know what was wrong with me. So going to my first AA meeting, it just resonated. And I think the key, I was ready. Yeah. I was suffering by this stage. I saw the words hope on the, on the table. And often when someone walks into AA, that's about all they've got left is hope. And so I made an analogy of that and thought, how can I get this hope? So H, I need to be honest because alcoholics aren't honest. No addict is honest, not because they're not honest people. There's so much shame. I needed to get honest. Oh, I needed to be open-minded and give this AA a really good go not walk in there closed-minded. Oh, this wasn't for people like me. It was for people like me, believe me. <laughs> um, the P, which was never a, a um, skill of mine, persistence. The only thing I persisted with was drinking. drinking. So <laughs> um, that, was, that was an interesting one. But put all those things together, and I think that's the, e? the part the to e, evolution. Yeah. Evolution. The hope is Not all evolution. those things. Yeah. Sorry, Nick. Now, do you? No, no. So, do you? Uh, I think I know the answer to this, but do you still go to AA meetings? Do you still consider yes yourself no. an alcoholic? Sometimes I did six meetings a week for six years to clean the head, and a lot of people said to me, "You'd be familiar with these terms, Ryan." It's like brainwashing, and I thought, well, my brain was pretty dirty. It never got <laughs> It had filth. <laughs> So brainwashing or not, it was a good brainwashing. I don't see it as brainwashing. I see it as an alternative for a better life and that there, there is a way out of this. There's a doorway out. You know, alcoholics will often bash their head against the wall until they find the door that's mm. always uh, been a, there. A lot of the time people are drinking as a form of coping mechanism, self-medicating to you know, numb the pain that they're feeling. My question, I guess, has always been around, is is there any healing done to alleviate the, the cause, which is then going to change your effect? Because I hear a lot of people say, hi, my name's such and such, and I'm, and I'm an alcoholic, and that they reinforce this narrative that they're an alcoholic. So to me, as an ignorant outsider, it doesn't seem that there's any capacity to any time be free from the concept of being an alcoholic because it's always just, as you said, it's always just there. The next drink is just there. It's always just around the corner. But for so many people, they're drinking 
as a byproduct or an effect is there any work done that you've seen about changing the root cause which can freeze someone and someone can leave going okay i'm no longer an alcoholic i did drink and i was an alcoholic in a past sense because i needed the medication but now i don't need the medication and i no longer resonate as being an alcoholic for me um I forgot the first bit of your question. Um, sorry, could you just shorten that question? Yep. So, so little... it was about it was about oh, is the there emotional healing stuff. done? Sorry, yeah, I'm back. Healing... I'm back. It's, it's I'll just pause and um, When I went to AA, I was told by multiple people, drinking is only ten percent of your problem. The other ninety percent is emotional and mental. So I suppose for me that raw, hard, real world of AA served to help the physical. But for me, I then went down the spiritual path to heal the emotional. Mm. But for most alcoholics, um, and you would possibly agree, Ryan, 10% is only the drinking. The rest is what goes on inside your head and within your emotional yep. centre, um, the turmoil. Right. I would say even less so than 10%. In, in, the, in the AA model, though, why do, why do they need to keep reinforcing a belief that they're an alcoholic instead of coming to a space where it can be a chapter of my life where I was an alcoholic because I had these internal injuries that have now healed and so I don't need that medication. Why, why isn't that the, the model? I think it, it, to me it's, it's not about, you know, keep telling yourself you're an alky. It's about reminding and reminding until you remind, change the mindset. It also stops you from becoming complacent and complacency is where you're going to reach out and pick up that first drink. Um, so I think very based the third from the disease, alcoholism, I believe, is a physical disease. So it would be nice to say to the diabetic, you can just turn it off, can't you? You can't just turn off a disease once it's been activated. You can manage it, but is it a I don't want to risk picking though? up that drink. Because uh, I, I, I'd agree to an extent there, but I think it would be a disease in maybe 15, 20% of the population. The other 80%, I think it's a, a self-medication for an illness that can yeah. be healed with, with therapy. So Absolutely. I guess it's a... AA is probably that very umbrella treats everyone, uh, the, thinks everyone has this disease, um, so they have to keep reminding themselves, and, and okay, I'm an alcoholic, be careful, be careful, be careful. But, yeah, I think there's a lot of people out there that can heal and then be free of that illness. It's like mental health. Like People have mental illness and mental health issues and those with mental illness need lifelong medication and management and everything but most people with anxiety and depression it's um, a reactive thing to their thinking styles which can change so therefore they don't have to go through life saying i'm a depressant i'm a i'm an anxious person they can heal and 
The, I think the, the diabetes analogy is a really good one because you've got like, so, so type 1 diabetes uh, you're born with and you have for life and you need to manage that. But then the, yeah. the majority of people with diabetes have type 2 diabetes, which has been based on lifestyle. So now it's like, now I need to start taking insulin and everything because of the situations that have happened in my life that have manifested type 2 diabetes, but you can reverse type 2 diabetes. Um, you can't reverse type 1. So you can then by making radical changes in your life, your health, your eating, all that kind of stuff, you can reverse it so you don't need the insulin anymore, which I think is a similar kind of analogy that we're talking yeah, it's about. Yeah, it's a great metaphor. Mm. And I, I think for me too, you know, that percentage that are what I call alcoholic, and there's a difference between a heavy drinker and an alcoholic. In the alcoholic brain, now please don't quote me the terminology, but I can tell you the Ryan's process. at the ready. That's when an alcoholic drinks, <laughs> go on, Deb. It will transform into a chemical, starting with D, detra, blah, 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 blah. And what that chemical does is it's like a morphine-like substance, so it's a real feel-good, I feel great. So what the natural body does is then shut off your endorphins, which are your happy, happy emotions. So you have a great night that night, like life isn't any better than when you're on the tabletop dancing. The next morning you wake up and it's the Velcro to the back of the head and the forehead again. What have I done? What have I said? Oh, my God, where am I? Um, so that 20%, once they put alcohol in their system, they hand over control, if that makes sense. Now, yeah. would I be able to have a drink after 22 years? I wouldn't want to play with it. Do you know what yeah. I mean? I know what thousands of people in AA have said to me, and I've seen it reminds me of my little friend who goes into AA and then goes back out, then comes back in, goes back out, comes back in. You come back in. How you going, mate? Oh, he'd say. Now, I am allowed to swear, am I? Absolutely. <laughs> He'd say, oh, doll, AA's fucked my drinking. <laughs> and we <laughs> laugh at that. But it's true because as his awareness grows and he knows all of these things and his education and knowledge grows, it contradicts every time he picks up a drink yeah. and he knows what he's doing. Yeah, it's, the awareness is great. Absolutely. And, and we can't create a utopian society. Keep going. Yeah. A, a, yeah, we, we can't create the utopian society. And it's funny, I just caught myself and I could almost sound like I'm arguing for people to drink, which I'm not because I think as a society, if there was no alcohol, we'd all be a lot healthier and happier and better. So, But it, it's more I, of a I, 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 I disagree with that, but go on. Okay. Oh well, I'm I'm saying it in general I'm terms. I'm probably really... going to stand by Ryan. Sorry. <laughs> so you think alcohol is a good part of society? What would happen? No. Al 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 if 
Because people always say about this to me. Well, that's why I said because there's no utopia, so we do need something. So I guess but it's alcohol. Like, so is we need something. So that's the thought experiment. Yeah. People say to me, "What are we yeah. going to do about this ice epidemic in in Melbourne?" And I'm like, "There's not a fucking yeah. epidemic of ice. There's an epidemic of emotional pain, and people trying to deal with that by using the most available drug at the minute. It's like it was heroin in the '90s. It'll be opiate pills next because that's where we just we use what's ever available. So then it's like, what if I clicked my fingers and just I had the magic powers to eradicate all ice from our country. Just it's gone. Then would those people who are addicted become healthy, happy people? Absolutely not. They would find something else to numb their pain. So then it's like, all right, what if we got rid of all drugs, all alcohol, all psychoactive, these mind altering drugs, what would happen? These suicide numbers would go like we think the suicide numbers are bad now, hockey stick. Psh, they would go through the roof and people would so start would killing the themselves. Yeah. Yeah. So would the sexual violence rates? Porn, shopping, debt. the witch or the bitch, really? Yeah. yeah. Until you clean the inside. Yes. So imagine, imagine a world where AA existed and we could, we could figure out who had type 1 diabetes, alcohol and type 2 diabetes and so these ones could go get healed and do some work and be free and these ones could be treated um, yeah is is that is that a possibility or I, I just think it's it's it this all comes back down to emotional intelligence training kids in, in kids training them to be still teaching them meditation having them be in tune with their internal world having them in a in an environment at home where they feel so comfortable opening up about themselves then all of a sudden the flow-on effect in 30 years is alcoholism drug abuse depression anxiety all these numbers just drastically go down i think that's the way to do it but it's a long-term solution i had a, I had a client the other day and her some um working with the mother and the son and the mother sent me a heads up saying, hey, this is what happened on the weekend. And the son's 15. And because of corona, hadn't been able to hang out with his mates for a while. Hadn't had any alcohol. So he went out on the weekend with his mates and binge drank. And came home vomiting, you know, really violently ill, passed out, everything. And his justification the next day was interesting. Because he said, yeah, well, because I hadn't done it for a while, I just f- forgot how much I should drink. And I'm like... You're a 15 year old with a developing brain and developing emotions and all these things and you know we all had a beer at 15 or 7 um, and, and so I'm trying to figure out what's healthy and how to how to work with this kid to say look it's not healthy to be drinking at that age and especially to, to that depth but it, but then he's also justifying it by saying well i'm not doing pills and caps and speed and ecstasy and all these other things so he's really saying i'm picking the lesser of all of those evils but i'm still abusing it at 15. this is the thing i don't believe alcohol is the lesser of all these ills BBC did a documentary on the top 20 drugs and put them in order of their, you know, chemical danger. Mm. The top three, two were legal. So it does say something about us. Benzodiazepines, alcohol and probably crack cocaine, I think. Um, So in terms of, of... as a pure chemical, if you're looking at, say, let's, let's look at an opiate, then we've got marijuana, then we've got alcohol. The chemical of alcohol is in the top three most dangerous 
of all the drugs available on the market. Yeah, and it's this, the, and um, it's, it's, it's toxic. Yeah, and also uh, there was a really good study done by, I encourage people to look this up, uh, Professor David Nutt. That's N-U-T-T. He got fired for this, but he was a professor at a university in England. And um, he did a massive study on the actual dangers of psychoactive substances. So harm to the user and harm to the people around them. Really extensive study. You should have seen, <laughs> my God, alcohol was more than every single other drug combined. Yeah. And and things like, he, and, and, he, and he put in the paper that you're more likely to be harmed or die from M, from sorry from horse riding or being struck by lightning than MDMA, which is ecstasy. And so this is like obviously not the message that the university wanted going out to the kids, but it was very that's interesting. That's I'm not saying I'm not agreeing that he was picking the lesser of all the evils because I I know how damaging alcohol is to yourself and to others. But if you say to him, um, it's the most dangerous one then he's his 15 year old mind is going to interpret that as well what should i do then how am i going to be cool how am i going to still that, hang out that's with that's the All problem right. that's the problem because yeah, so, he's in he's so, in a socialization uh, phase of his life this is why teenagers are so bloody hard to work with because their number <laughs> one their number one value in life is socializing and so yeah. our culture dictates how do we socialize we drink with friends because that's how we feel so connected get, so so imagine I tell him that he gets off the alcohol and then starts taking pills and his mum rings me up the next weekend and is like, what the fuck did you say to him? And I'm like, well, you know, it's not as harmful. <laughs> it's a rock and a hard place. It is a rock and a hard place. With I think that with that overarching issue is um, why can't our kids feel connected and, and bond without these substances? But he does. When he goes out into the country and goes to their farm and hangs out with other kids, not in the city, not in the same socioeconomic bracket, it's a simpler life and the, the stuff's just not available. But he's out there, um, you know, building farm fences and digging holes and he's actually at, of use and, and you know, connecting with other kids of use and are all healthy. He's a completely different person. So environment is massive. Well, that, that's, yeah, 100%. I think, I think I take him away from the city. I've yeah. seen down in Switzerland or Sweden, one of those Nordic areas that are very progressive. And it does, in a way, help with what you were saying. And I think what you were saying, Nick, is very important, that sense of community. They put a mouse into a cage and they put a drip feed uh, morphine. Uh, heroin, you know, whatever, opiates. And the mouse would continually go back and get off its head and, ah, and eventually it died. So then they mixed the experiment up and in the cage they put other mice, they put equipment to play on, they made a little nice community. fun park. Yeah, and a little community and other mice. Now the mouse went up to the morphine and took some but nowhere near as much and was happy to walk away from it because he had that sense of community. So I think a sense of belonging, which I said at the start was AA, is really important to have a tribe in life because when you feel alone, that's when you go, it, it brings the worst out of us. So true. Uh, so I think it's a combo really... of everything, Nick. Yeah. Yeah. So William Glasser has done a lot of work around. He did choice theory and reality therapy, and he's got his 
it's not Maslow's hierarchy of needs. William Gloss's five basic human needs are a sense of empowerment, to feel like I've got choice, a sense of belonging, a sense of um, fun, a sense of survival, and a sense of freedom as well. Yep. So when any of those belongings are compromised to a degree, it's going to, you know, our needs aren't being met. We're going to become needy and we're going to go searching mm-hmm. for something to fill that void, fill that hole and drugs, al- alcohol, you know, they're, they're all unfortunately readily available for kids to fill those holes. Mm. I think a good, you know, sense of belonging and that's building a good community structure, you know, and, and encouraging people to find that tribe. Yeah, that's, that's so important, Deb. I've noticed this just in living, you know, I'm in a very quiet area of, of Koh Samui and just noticing it, you know, the sense of community that's missing. Like in Melbourne, it's fucking five million people. And like where, where I, where I, I've moved around, but you know, before we came here, we were in Keysborough and there's no community. You know, you go to the, the shopping center and there's just thousands of people and you're not really, you'll nod at a few people you recognize because everyone's no, everyone's, yeah, there's so many people, but everyone's just in their own head and disconnected. Whereas here, you know, there might be, 20 people down the the main street of shops but you start to really get to know them and form these connections and you know to help each other out you know like oh you need eggs i'm going to the shops tomorrow you know less is definitely more i think yeah but so social media is sort of being used to fill that gap but we're we're more distant than ever even Mm. everyone's so connected on a technological level we're we're emotionally we're so we're, we're more disconnected than ever yeah I think it's worked against us. While social media is good for connecting people and there's many pluses, I think it's also a playground for bullies and and for tearing people down because they're a lot braver when they're behind their keyboard. So we talked about mothers that, that were unsure before. I mean, in my day growing up, all mothers supported each other, you know. We literally pop next door and get a cup of sugar, you know. Mm. We played in each other's backyards. We, mm. There was that sense of community. And if I think about it, in my street anyway, I didn't see a lot of drugs or alcohol or anything. Um, but, you know, I'm talking 60s, 70s, yeah. when that sense of community now you're lucky if you know your neighbours. It's true. I have a think about it, like th- if those needs are met, we don't need other right. things. So we're such it a. It doesn't needy. become as yeah. It's it's the choice becomes further out if that makes sense because you're not yeah. needing to get away from your. Well, head. then if you're going to have a drink, it can be through choice of okay. I just feel like a beer after mowing the lawn. It's 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 not a I need it. It's a I'm choosing to have it because it just is different relationship with the same totally same substance totally. Deb let's um, we've got to wrap up soon but I'll, well, we've got way off track after Nick's question about tarot so let's come back let's go it goes where it goes it's good you know? I'm having a great time Deb this is fantastic um, tell, tell us a bit about tarot for those out there we might have a few blokes listening going oh tarot I don't know about that let's run us through I think, it I think it's about demystifying it Tarot, Hollywood has done all the death card, you know. Um, A lot of people come to a reading from me and the first question, I'm not going to die, am I? And I go, yeah, 
are. <laughs> yeah, you are. <laughs> Sorry to be the bearer of bad news, you are. <laughs> We're all going. Um, it's just the nature of the when, how, and whatever. I don't know. Everything's impermanent. Yeah, we've all so, got the death card. <laughs> it simply means an ending. Yeah. And while the time death appears, it's saying you've been poked, you've been warned, you know you need to end something. It could be a relationship or a job or whatever. Death comes along like a piece of 4B2 and whacks you. So the warnings get a bit harder and a bit more painful. So the cards themselves are really just, I call them the evolutionary storyteller because they tell the story of human behaviour and human psychology. And that hasn't changed for centuries. Mm. We're still fighting over power, money, sex, jealousy, all of the pains that were thousands of years ago, we're still experiencing today. Our technology's changed, our medicine has changed, our psychology not so much. So with the cards, they really, if I lay them down, because of the mythology, symbology and the power they hold, um, they just tell you where you're at. Um, can they tell you what colour underwear you've got on? No. You know, no one really can do that um, because everything can change at any given time. So I say tarot is a tool that can show you the path you're on and show you the potholes there. Or it could say here's another path, but that's your choice and this one's a much smoother ride. A little like numerology, just in a different format. You're using cards instead of numbers. Um, people, obviously, some people come along. It's about me educating people with tarot. I will always be transparent and tell people I'm not going to be the person to give you 100 hit predictions because that's not what this is about. You it's can't pick the tats lot on numbers for people. Yeah. Do you think I would have done it by now? <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, it's about guidance. It's about healing. It's about empowerment. So for me as a tarot reader, if my client leaves feeling more empowered, has choices that they can reach to, and a sense of hope about their future, then my job is done. Yeah. They walk out scared shitless because I told them a yellow car is going to run them off the road, then I've disabled that person, you know. So there are some, I suppose, readers out there that misuse the craft, but then there's doctors out there that misuse their craft and teachers that misuse theirs. So you're going to find it in every craft that you do but the ultimate aim they're really just a deep look into human psychology and human behavior which sadly hasn't changed much and they give you options they give you the choices this this road will probably involve this and this road will probably involve that and they go oh, well, I like this road 
Can you pick a? Can you flip a few cards for Ryan? See what's in Ryan's Ooh. path moving forward. Ooh. What does Ryan need to know? So I'll give them a shuffle for you, Ryan. What color undies do I have on Deb? Okay. <laughs> None. 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 Yeah, Nick. Nick, you're psychic. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, look at this one, Ryan. This is called the Ace of Wands. So I'm going to say right now what the universe is telling you. There's something new, hence the Ace. Okay. Wands is about energy, passion, excitement. There's a new project. There's something new that is waiting to be watered and tended to and cared for and grown because it has amazing potential. I don't know does, if you does, does resonate. That resonate. Does it that does, resonate? yeah. I I'm, I'm, have a couple of new projects that I am just starting or just formulating up here. And um, I am I am at a point, even though my life's pretty exciting, I'm at a point to like, you know, start something new and, and take one of these projects by the do you, horn. Do you want to hear so, something funny, Deb? I, yeah. I, too, have a new project that's at its very infancy, so that Ace of Wands resonates with me, too. And so if you look at the symmetry of that, you know, the wand is indicating, hang on, which way do I go? Energy. And dare I say it, the wand is a little phallic in its its appearance. Oh. If you look at it closely, it resembles, yes. you know. Yes. And if you think about that, put it this way, I, I think a lot of men have gained a lot of motivation with this energy, if you know what I mean. Oh, oh yeah. It's been <laughs> our main, motiv- main motivator for years. It's like a little It knows where it's going. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to point that in the right direction and I'm fine. Absolutely. Yeah. And the passion you feel, like I'm going to get that. I'm out to get it. You'll do anything you need to do within reason to achieve that goal. That's sort of similar. So it's it. saying, oh, there's great promise here. So the question would be, how do you get there? And this is, you've got this. Just three ladies cheering. Oh, okay. I would say it's about networking. Um, networking. This is not just a, a solo project. There well, would need it's, to be it's, other. It's funny. These projects that are just formulating are collaborations. They're not things I'm doing myself, so... Once again, so resonating. Collaboration will be very successful. Okay. You'll probably work well in collaborations, yeah? You've got a really um, easy type energy. Not easy, you know what I mean. It's, it's an no, easy. no, he's easy. He's I'm easy. very, very easy. He's easy. <laughs> this is... What's that one? So I call him Rambo. So his head's bandaged. Mm-hmm. It looks a little like Sylvester Stallone. So this project, this project, if you think about it, Ryan, I would say this has got a lot to do with your journey into, you know, sobriety, into finding yourself, all of those things. It's been a huge battle for you, um, but you've done exceedingly well. It's not always been up. There's been many downs as well. The good news you're almost there. They're saying for this project there's one last thing left to do. It might be to get that collaboration moving. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but it's saying a lot of it is based on your past battles. Mm. So it's those past battles that you'll be able to bring the knowledge forward into this new project. Okay. That lived experience. Yeah. God, and this is like a double reading. It's a double. There's a, the overall a, result, sun. So the sun is oh. the yes card. And I think if you do those things, it's get it moving, give it, breathe it back into life, get it excited again, get your collaboration moving, get everybody in the project moving together, draw on your experience because it will be important. Don't give up if it gets a bit hard. Keep going because you're going to, we talked about the cloud that's blocking the sun. I think you can remove the cloud and allow the sun to shine for many people. So I feel like I'm going to tear up here, Deb. You're getting the feels. I do often bring people to tears. It's a gift I have. Yeah, like the tear maker. I did them a lot when I was drinking too, but anyway. Beautiful. Um, Thank you, you so much. A little look. Um, Nick, let's just pull one out for you, shall we? Well, all of those resonated for me, Deb, so I was, I was hijacking I was hijacking Ryan's reading. Believe it as it is. Yeah. It as it is. You, just saw well, the, you saw the phallus card and you got a bit excited and wanted to jump in. Uh, yeah. <laughs> See, mind in the gutter, Deb. That's where he's I had is. my share of um, those things and I know that once they're, they've got their, their target set, there's nothing to stop <laughs> <What's> them. <laughs> Deb, I'm going to tell you about my future business plans and those cards are hilariously yeah in on play. point Hass, I'll, I'll tell you to you about them as well later beautiful but if you both of you are similar in the sense that you do similar sort of work so yeah that's why i say that i thank the universe every day for the crawl and the mud that i did because it made me a better person it made me more compassionate. It it just made me a better me. Well, you I think that Robbie Williams song. You took the you you took the lessons and the learnings from those things. It gave you the opportunity to become a better person. But yes. you did that yourself. Absolutely, I've As done the did. work. Yeah. Absolutely, and I think that what makes it so much sweeter. Mm. Someone yeah. hasn't handed it to me. But so many people get stuck and life happens and they get beat up and they'll stay in that victim mentality that woe is me, that it's not fair, yes. I can't believe this happened. So life can happen equally to all three of us and thankfully the three of us are of a mindset where we look for the value and learn and grow we see that shit as manure that's going to help us to grow. But a lot of people just feel that that shit is just them getting dumped on and they go nowhere. So it's, yeah. the universe will provide opportunities, but we have to take, we have to seize the day. Turn the manure Absolutely. into flowers. Yay. Absolutely. You know, I, I know you're finishing up, but people often ask me, was it hard giving up drinking? And I say, yeah, it was hard, but it was harder drinking. Yep. Mm. Life was much harder drinking. Always chasing my tail. So, yes, the journey's 
not an easy one, but it's much easier than the drinking. <laughs> well, with, with smoking, when I used to help people to stop smoking with hypnotherapy, I'd say to them, it's so much harder to start smoking than it is to yeah. stop smoking because you've got to Ooh. inhale toxins and poisons and smoke into the lungs, which is you've got to override so many yes. you know, survival mechanisms. Like stopping smoking is just common sense. It's logical. It's rational. It's easy when you alter Absolutely. your relationship with it. So, And if they yeah. think of that journey of smoking, that when it gets to the point where they have lung disease and, you know, their breathing limits their life, uh, you know, existence, and then they end up on oxygen and then they have emphysema, so it would have been much easier giving up, wouldn't it? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Deb, this has been an absolute pleasure. This has been so much fun. That was I like can feel a part two coming on. Yeah, I know. That was like the fastest, I what is know, that, hour, hour and a quarter ever. I I'm going to leave. I feel like I the third stooge. <laughs> I know. I love it. I think I think we've got the woke woman. I think that's, that's <laughs> the woke a, woman. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, forget oh, Wonder Woman. Bring, uh, forget Wonder Woman. We got Woke Woman. We got Woke yeah. Woman. It's like, mm. <laughs> <laughs> I love it, Deb. But before we before we go, where, where can people find you? Uh, SoulEvolution.net.au. Soul Evolution. Um.net.au. Inquiries at SoulEvolution.net.au. Facebook, Instagram. And my number, am I able to give that out? Absolutely, Deb. Do yeah, think? 0499 019 All readings are half price at the moment because of COVID. So it's I just... encourage people take that offer. Like, well, I do this, too. If this is, you know, t- tweaked you a little bit and it's something you maybe haven't thought about before, hopefully today's been enlightening and, and you'll reach out to Deb and, and get one of those readings done and it's, uh, it's, it's, it's well worth it. So people don't have to be in person, Deb. They can do it on the phone mm. or over the computer or something. I know. Deb's learning technology. It's a wonderful <laughs> <laughs> so if you're, if you're sitting there in Dubbo listening to this and you think... I know, I'm I've of, moved on I'm from the Polaroid camera. <laughs> if you're in if the States in, anywhere. Yeah, so if someone if someone's anywhere in Australia or the world listening, Deb, they can get in touch with you and, and get a reading. You can you can do a, a numerology profile like you did for Ryan without meeting yeah. him. All you need is their name at birth and their, their date of birth. So lots, of, lots of value in connecting with Deb. No worries. Thank you so much, Deb. Thanks for sharing all of your knowledge, your journey. It's been very, very inspiring, and I'm about to go and tackle this new project. I'm, I'm pumped up. Oh, you go. Like ah. a scud missile. You know where your target is? Go for it. <laughs> I'm going to go downstairs. Melissa's like, put that thing away, for God's sake. I'm, like, I'm, in- I'm inspired, babe. I'm inspired. I'll start knocking vases over and... <laughs> <laughs> what a what a beautiful visual to wrap up on. Thank you all for listening to the Woke it's like Monk a dog podcast. tail, isn't it? It cleans the, the coffee table. Uh, we're Goodbye, done. everyone. Thank you for tuning in to the Woke Blokes podcast. Please don't forget to subscribe to the show. Also, leave us a five-star rating. We thank you so much, and we'll see you all next time. <laughs>